0: This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. People confuse happiness with joy. In fact, if you listen carefully, you find a lot of people use those two words interchangeably. That's not really true. And so after today and after the series of messages, I hope you're going to correct them when you hear them talking about joy and happiness in the same breath or use them interchangeably. Because happiness comes from getting what we want. And that is why it is often temporary at best. And that is why the pursuit of happiness can be the most unhappy of all pursuits. Why? Because often we don't get what we want. Other times we actually lose what we have. And therefore our happiness is not really dependable. Or as is often the case, some people want something so badly... And then finally they get it, and after a while, they lose interest. It's sort of the, it wears off. And that is why you must understand the difference between happiness and joy. Joy, on the other hand, has only one source, and it comes from only one place, and His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only source of joy. You'll never meet a joyful person who doesn't have Jesus in their life. He is the only source of joy, and that can never, ever, ever, ever be taken away from you. You can't lose Him, and uh, you often heard it said that joy has come from those three words, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, then yourself. If you put Jesus first, others second, yourself last, you have joy. That's fine. It's a wonderful cliche, but let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a Yusuf formula, all right? (laughs) J is for Jesus. Y is for you. But the O in the middle stands for nothing. Zero. That is when there is nothing between you and Jesus, you'll have joy. (laughs) When something comes between you and Jesus, you're not going to have joy. Don't forget it. And this is what Philippians is all about, this magnificent little epistle. In fact, the joy that Paul talks about is the kind of joy that you find people experience in the tough times. You see people going through difficult times, and yet they are joyful. At the same time, somebody else might have everything going their way, but they have no joy. And this epistle of joy is going to show you the secret of continuous joy, how to have it continuously in your life. And, of course... You've got to understand, the church in Philippi was not a perfect church or a happy, clappy church. You know, they are always of everything is fine, and therefore he's talking about joy. No, no, no. They actually had so many problems. They had material needs. They had uh, tension within the church. They had disagreements. They, 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 there were some egotistical people who were insisting on their way, and they were creating havoc in the church. There were fractious people there, and therefore they were not having joy, and that is why Paul is writing to them 14 times in this little epistle, telling them about the secret of his joy. I don't need to tell you that this is a time, at least in my lifetime, where there are more people who are fearful and anxious and worried and discouraged and, yes, joyless than I have seen in a long time. And I believe in my heart if there's ever a series of messages that the Lord laid on my heart for this time, it is the series of messages from Epistle to the Philippians, which I'm calling the series, It is Contagious. Pass it on. Because that's what joy is. It is contagious. And I'm going to show you in the next several messages how to catch it, how to keep it, how to exhibit its symptoms, uh, how to infect others with it, uh, how to value it, how to appropriate its blessings, and how to stabilize its condition, and how to maintain its benefits. So I want you to turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 1. How do you catch it? And that's the first 11 verses, if you look with me in your Bible. It is a gift from God, and it comes to you as one package with salvation. It is not you get salvation here, and then a few years later you get joy. It is one package, and you get it all together. Joy is constantly provided in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is why Paul told Romans in chapter 14, verse 17, he said, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness and peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that fruit is going to hang out all over you when you are fully uh, obedient to the Word of God. When there is obedience in operation in your life, you're going to experience joy the joy of the Lord. I want to tell you from painful personal experience, disobedience to the Word of God will steal your joy. It will cover up your joy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to lose your joy completely because it is there. It is just covered up with all the clutter of this world and the worries of this world and the anxieties of this world that brings to your life and the distrust in the promises of God is going to cover up your joy. And that is why Jeremiah said in 15, 16, your word became to me a joy and a delight to my heart. Whenever you are obedient to the word of God, your joy is going to deepen even in the tough times, even in the difficult times, even in the dark days. And that is why James said in 1, 2, he said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various problems. Finally, I want to tell you that the believer's joy is made complete when you focus on your hope of heaven. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope. The reason why the church today in the 21st century has lost its power in the world is because they've lost their joy. How? How? Because we have become so focused on this world, we have become so focused on our strategy, we have become so focused on our styles, we have become so focused on what we like and dislike, we have become so focused on this life that we have forgot about our eternal home. John Newton, whom you know as the author of that great hymn, Amazing Grace, was a great pastor. And one day he went to visit a lady in his church who lost everything, basically, in a fire. Her house caught fire, and, and everything she owned in this world went up in smoke. And Newton said, I bring you great joy, madam. And she said, what? Joy? When all my property is consumed by fire? He said, no, not at all. He said, by joy that you have so much property that fire cannot touch. You see, Paul loved the Philippians. He really did. He had a very soft spot for them. He loved them dearly, and, and he wanted to share with them the very secret of his joy. Why does he, was he a joyful person? And he led so many of those people to Christ himself. And from Lydia, the great businesswoman, he led her and her family to Christ, to the Philippian jailer who actually can say to the congregation, you know, congregation, this thing about joy and Paul's letter is not really a theory, because I was in charge of the prison here in Philippi when Paul and Silas were beaten up and bleeding all over the place. But in the middle of the night, they were singing and praising God and having joy in their hearts. And he said, the earthquake came, and then I cried out and said, what must I do to be saved? And they said to me, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household shall be saved. He's one of those people who came to the Lord because of the apostle Paul. And the joy that this man exhibited, not just in theory, not just in words, but in all of his life. And he felt this unique relationship with the church of Philippi. And that is why in those four brief chapters, he tells them his secret of joy in the midst of the crushing circumstances. But do you know that his greatest testimony, his greatest witness to the congregation there, It's not necessarily the words, although the words inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I thank God for them. But it is where he wrote that letter about joy from. He was not in an American prison where he got some color television and and, and some decent meals and and clean place to, to sleep. There was a dungeon. And yet he says, I rejoice. And let me tell you about the secret of my joy. Paul was in prison, but he was joyful. Let me tell you how I would have written this part. All right? You ready? Here's how I would have written it. I thank God for your faith, and that's why I need you to pray for me. Pray because my situation is really tough. I am in this miserable situation where I am not able to preach the gospel. I am so depressed, I'm so discouraged, because I see no way out of here except martyrdom or death or both. Uh, The Roman justice system has let me down. You know, when I was in Jerusalem and I appealed to Caesar, I really had a great hope for the Roman justice system, but it let me down. I've discovered it was riddled with corruption and favoritism and all sorts of injustices. My body is aching, and my arthritis playing up, and my joints are creaking, and I'm having sleepless nights. Please pray for me that God would deliver me and intervene and gets me out of this terrible place. Your Pastor Michael. (laughs) Listen, had Paul written those words, I for one would not blame him. I'm going to level with you. I would not. Would you? But here he jumps out of grace and peace, which is a normal greeting, and I'm not going to spend time on it. He jumps out of there to talking about joy. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day to this time. He was thankful for their sacrificial giving. They did not give the crumbs that fell off their table. They didn't give just a little bit. They gave out of their desperate need. And Paul is saying, I am so thankful to God for your faithfulness. I am so thankful for your partnership in the preaching of the gospel. And he is so rejoicing in their support even though he's in imprisonment. And that is why, in fact, he doesn't give his imprisonment a great deal of space. He doesn't give it a great deal of airtime. And you want to say, Paul, what is the secret of this incredible joy? (laughs) Ah, he gives you the secret, and it's verse 6. It is one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know why it's one of the greatest verses? Because it tells us, it tells you, it tells me that God, the God who brought you salvation, will never, 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 never allow you to lose your salvation. Did you get that? Say amen. Some of you are gonna kick and scream all over the place. I know that. That's all right. Kick and scream all you want. Some of you are gonna holler and say, Michael, no, no, no. I chose Jesus. I put my faith it my continuous salvation is depending on me and what I do for Jesus. It's not gonna do you any good because it's an error. It is not the truth of the word of God. Some would say, well, Michael, I know some people who were really great Christians and they fell away, and, and I know somebody might even preached. You know, how come God didn't… Listen to me. Who told you that that person was saved to begin with? Just because somebody puts on a Christian mask or calls themselves Christian doesn't mean they're saved. There are churches in America that are filled with people who are not saved. You know what I'm saying. So be careful. Be careful. Because when the Lord saves you, He doesn't save you for a day or two or for this life. He saves you forever and for eternity. He doesn't give you a gift and He takes it away from you. One of the great men that had the greatest impact on my life was an illiterate man. I was 18 years old. God brought him my way. He began to disciple me. And I remember one of the things he said to me that I'll never forget to the day I die. He said, brother, I said, remember this. God is not sitting up in heaven with a pencil, with an eraser at the back of it. And so you repent of your sins and you come to the Lord and you receive salvation. So he writes your name in the book of life with pencil. Then you blow it. So he tips the pencil upside down, and he erases your name. Then you come back to him and cry and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry, I sinned. So he turns the pencil back and writes your name again. And then he will turn the pencil for the time. Next time you blow it, he will erase your name again. And then he will write your name again when you come back. And he he said, that is not the character of our God. He doesn't use pencils. When he has written your name in the book of life, he wrote it with the blood of Jesus and it is there to stay. And because your name is written by the blood of Christ in the Lamb's book of life, nobody and nothing can erase that name. You see, the Bible's saying, Paul is saying, that God never begins anything that He never finishes. I've known people through my years who start this project and then they move into the next project and halfway is done and then they go on the next project God bless them I mean, they'll drive you nuts but still, you know, you see it not God He always finishes what He starts and if He started by giving you salvation He ain't going to take it away from you you can't even change that yourself now, if Paul wrote this verse this way listen carefully had he written verse six this way, "O Philippians, I have every confidence in you that you will keep your commitment to Christ no matter what. Who gets the glory? They would have, right? They'll get the glory. <laughs> and the reason those who think that salvation is up to them, and they the ones who's got to do it, the ones they want to get the glory. Nothing, nothing will humble you and keep you on your face and on your knees the knowing that Jesus saved you eternally, that He began that work and He'll bring it to completion, that He's going to take you across the finish line. Nothing. Would you say, well, Michael, where did Paul get his teaching? Well, listen to what Jesus said. Because some of you still are saying, no, it's still up to me. Okay, listen to the words of Jesus. And then if you have an argument, have it with Jesus, not with me. I'm only the mailman. John chapter 10, verses 27-28. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never, can you say "never?" never? Perish. Listen to the rest of it. No one can snatch them out of my hand. <laughs> it's enough to make you shout. That's where Paul got his teaching from. He got it from Jesus. And that is why in Romans eight thirty-eight he can say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, uh, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When He saved you, He saved you completely, eternally, and forever. You know what? I was thinking throughout my experiences, if you show me a continuously joyless Christian… I will show you a Christian who's having a hard time believing in the eternal security of the believer, who think it's up to them. Joy comes from knowing that he began a good work, is able to bring it to completion all the way to the end. Here's Paul's attitude. I may be in this miserable dungeon, but I am filled with joy. Because my salvation is not dependent on me. It is signed, sealed, and delivered by Jesus' own blood. And no one can take that away from me. And that can give me all the joy that a man can stand. Verses 7 and 8, he reminds them that God did not save them just to save them. That's what some people think, that God saved them just to save them. Only a foolish person would make this statement. Oh well, since God is the one who guarantees my salvation all the way to heaven, then I can live which way I want to live, and I you know, in the end he'll take care of that. That's a foolish statement. In fact, it really is an indication of a person who's not saved, that the mind is not and the heart not regenerated by Christ. Because a person Who really understand that Jesus is the grantor of your salvation is going to be on his knees on her face before God in gratitude and thanksgiving. And the Apostle Paul is saying to them, God saved you for a purpose. What was it? Their partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ together with Paul. You know. He didn't say, oh, no, I remember fondly all the good times we've had together and, and the times we went out and saw the, went to the ball game and really had a great time with the hot dogs and the, and the iced teas. And, or, or, you know, I remember the fun, the, 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 the church picnics that we used to have in Philippi. Man, I remember with fondness the, the great food we used to have or, or, or like we tend to talk today, you know, man, it was great hanging out with you guys. That's too shallow for Paul. That should be too shallow for us. Wow, we had a great time of sharing, didn't we? (laughs) We share each other to death. And, uh, you know, we had so fun together in our discussion group. Fine. All these things are fine. I'm not against them. Probably they did all that. But as far as the great apostle was concerned, he is saying that their shared passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ and to get the lost be saved and the proclamation of that gospel was the most exciting partnership of all. I am convinced. That there's nothing that can unite believers together, whether they're black, white, or brown, or rich, or poor, fat, or fit, men or women, introvert or extrovert. Nothing can unite them together like realizing that Jesus came from heaven and died on the cross so that He may reconcile sinners to His Father. That is the one thing that can unite people more than you will, can ever imagine. Everything else is okay, but nothing will unite us like the gospel. What gives Paul joy? Verse 7, for you all share in God's grace with me. And that is why verses 9, 8, and 10, he said, and this is my prayer. You do well to use this prayer to pray for others, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern. My goodness, I want to underline that word. If we have such desperate need today among Christians is discernment. That you might discern what is best, and that you might be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Here's another usufism. A joyless Christian is a fruitless Christian because he is or she is a disobedient Christian. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Therefore, if your strategy is right, you'll bear fruit. Right? Some of you are not sure. Is that what he said? I am the true vine. And therefore, if you do... Work 12 hours a day, you'll bear fruit. He said, I am the true vine, and if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. If you abide in my word, you'll bear fruit. Again, a fruitless Christian is a disobedient Christian, and a disobedient Christian is a joyless Christian. Who's the only source of joy? And when something comes between you and Jesus you'll lose your joy. I have met people, it breaks my heart, who are running from seminar to seminar, church to church, conference to conference, this activity to this activities to this activities, looking for the joy they can only find in Christ. They will not find it in all these things. There's only one source for the joy. And when nothing comes between you and Jesus... You catch a joy. That's how you catch it. And knowing that he who began a good work in you is able to bring it to completion. How many of you have seen the film Lawrence of Arabia? What some of you might not have known is that after World War I, Lawrence of Arabia took some of his Arab friends to Paris, France. (laughs) He wanted to show them all the sights. He wanted to expose them to the Western culture. He wanted uh, to show them all the French uh, uh, culture. And, and, and so he, he took them to Paris, uh, and he showed them the Louvre, and he showed them the Arc of Triumph and he showed them Bonaparte's tomb. He showed them Champs-Élysées. He, he, he wanted to show them all these incredible sights. But they expressed no interest. Oh, okay, um, go back to the hotel room. And they wanted to spend most of their time in the bathrooms of their hotels, turning on and off the faucets. <laughs> they would turn it on, and they would turn it off. They would turn them on, and they would turn them off. They were mesmerized. They were fascinated. They, they just couldn't believe that you can turn a handle, and, and you get all the water you want. I mean, it's, just, it's right there. And they thought, this was the answer to their arid land. And so, as they were leaving France, he went to get them and he found them in their bathrooms trying to unhook the faucets. (laughs) And they said, Lawrence, if we take these home with us, we can just turn them on and get all the water we want. And he had to explain to them that the secret is not in the faucets, it's not in the handles. The secret is that these faucets, these taps, these, these handles are connected by a pipe to the source of water. And the answer to their dry land is not the faucet, but water. The handles of these faucets were not the answer to the scarcity of their water. Beloved, there are many people today who are living joyless lives, and they think that if they get into the trappings of religion, if they get into the trappings of churchianity, if they get into these trappings of, of activities, that they will have joy. Their lives are as dry as the Arabian desert, and they spend their time going after these faucets and these handles, and, and they don't understand that the secret is the connection with Jesus, and that there'll be no relief for joylessness until nothing comes between Him and Jesus. Psalm chapter 1 is one of the most exciting psalms, and it illustrates what I'm trying to say. It says, that person is like the tree that is planted by the source of the water, which means obedience to the Word of God. And when that obedience takes place, and nothing between Jesus and you, that connection is going to produce fruit, much fruit. I'm not against activities. I'm not against working hard, as you know I do. But without Christ, those activities are empty activities. Obedience to the Word of God brings joy that produces fruit. Just like that. Obedience, joy, fruit. Obedience, joy, fruit. Father, only the Holy Spirit can communicate what I'm trying to do. And so, we come to You believing, trusting that He who began a good work will bring it to completion. And Father, we say we're sorry for losing our joy because we have allowed things to come between us and you, Lord Jesus. Father God, I pray that you'll teach us to hook up with the source and not all the trappings that are designed to detract us and ultimately hide your joy. May those words that we've just heard with our outward ears, Father, be, penetrate deep into our minds and into our hearts and into our wills that it will produce the fruit that is desirable to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.